I get a little excited when I start singing about my eternal home. If it's one thing I know right down here, it's that this is all temporary. You can work on anything you were, you know, you, you, how many of you got an old truck or an old car that you just love? It's just old. You can work on that thing. You can get that thing going, running just as smooth as you can go. But how many of you know one day it ain't going to run good anymore? One day that thing's going to go back down. You can have the, the, how many of you love the house you live in? I, I know there ain't going to be a whole bunch in here, but, you know, the, the house you live in, it's yours. It's your home. And, and you can get that thing just so fixed up and so nice, and it can be just you love to go home, and you love to get in your house, and you love to lay on your couch, and you love your time in your house. I'm out of way. I'm a homeboy. I really am. I love being in my home. But I, I, I know one day that home is going to need a new roof on it. Can I get an amen, Vivian? That, that home going to need a new roof, ain't it? One day, one day that home going to need a new floor in it. Ain't that the truth? And, and one day that old home is just going to be falling to pieces. But I know that one day I'm going to have a home. I'm going to have a place that's prepared just for me that none of that will ever come into that place. I get excited when I think about it because I look around in this world and I see no hope in it. I see none. I look around in this world and the only thing I see is, is, is death. That's what I see. I look around in this world and all I see is sickness. All I see is disease. I look around in this world and I see that in this world there is no hope. But in Jesus Christ we have all the hope we could ever need because he has a home prepared for us that will never fade away. And I get excited when I talk about that. When we were singing the song, um, What a Day That Will Be, that's, that's kind of a hard place to get to, if you'll be honest with me this morning. That takes a lot of faith. It's not something you have in your hand right now. You know, I don't, I can't physically see that home that he has prepared for me. I cannot physically dip my finger into the edge of the crystal river that's pure and there is no pollution in that place. I cannot physically see the street that is so pure gold that it looks like transparent glass. But I believe it. I believe it with all my heart and that's called faith. And you know why I believe it? I believe it because God said it. I don't need anything else. The Bible says that whenever God came to Abraham and told Abraham, He said, Abram, I want you to leave everything that you know, your land, your family, your goods, everything that you know, I want you to get up out of it and I want you to follow me. And I'm going to take you to a place that I will show you. I'm going to take you to a place to where your seed is going to be blessed and, and your seed will not be able to be numbered. It will be like the sands of the sea. He's 75 years old and he don't even have a child. And Abraham looks back at God and says, God, you said it. I believe it. It's that simple. And the Bible tells us in the book of Romans chapter 4 that God accounted that to Abraham for righteousness just because Abraham did not waver at the promise of God. God said, Abraham, I promise you, I am going to do this for you. You don't see it right now. You, you do not have a picture of the land. I've told you a little bit about it. It's a land flowing with milk and honey. But even, even what my words could tell you about this land cannot draw a picture in your mind of what this land looks like. It's not possible. So 
Abraham looked at God and he said, God, you promised it and I believe it. And he didn't waver at it. He left everything he knew and he followed God. And he never looked back. And because of that, he inherited the promise of God. Not in this world. He inherited the promise that each and every one of us have hope in. That each and every one of us are should be looking forward to that day. I want to talk to you this morning about finding joy in your patience and long-suffering. And I'm going to be, be in the book of Colossians in the chapter 1. I'm going to read verses 9 through... Colossians chapter 1, 9 through 14. Colossians in chapter 1, beginning in verse 9. I thank you for standing, if you're able, for the reading of God's Word, giving reverence, that is, do it. Colossians 1, beginning in verse 9. For this reason we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you, and to ask that you may be filled with the knowledge of His will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing Him, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God, strengthened with all might according to His glorious power for all patience and long-suffering. What's those next two words? How many of you are joyful when you happen to be patient? How many of you are joyful when you're having to be long-suffering? I'm going to finish this, but that's my topic of my message. Finding joy in the midst of your patience and long-suffering. Go with me. He says in, in uh, verse 12, Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and conveyed us into the kingdom of the Son of His love in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our sins. You can be seated. I've been talking to you about for the last several weeks about this Christian assembly line. And we've been in this prayer for some time now, but I don't know how much longer we're going to be in it, but as of this Sunday we're still in it, so y'all bear with me. You've been having some homework assignments. How many of you did your homework this week? we got a few that still did your homework. Well, we still need to work on that. If you didn't do your homework this week, I, I've, I should have some extras. You should be able to look on the foyer out here, and I've got some papers out there that have a prayer on it that we're praying for one another. The first week that we started, we asked the Lord to give us the knowledge of His will. Fill us with it. Now, what is God's will for our life? To be Christ-like. The Bible says in the book of Romans 8.32, I believe it is, He said that He predestined us to be conformed to the image of His Son. In other words, it is your destiny. The whole reason you were created is to be like Jesus Christ. That is your whole purpose for being. If you can model your life after Him, you will be fulfilling the will of God in your life in every way. Everything else that's added to that is simply calling. It's simply labor. It's simply for reward. Preaching is not God's will for your life. It could be part of God's will for your life, 
But ultimately, His will for your life is to be Christ-like because one day, preaching will be needed no more. You know that, right? When we get to heaven, we will not have this section over here that says, Wells Baptist Church, Pastor Kevin Wells. It's not going to be there. I'm not going to be standing up in front of you in heaven saying, Oh, I can't wait till that day when we get to see His face. I can't wait till that day we get to hold His hand. You know why I'm not going to be saying that? Because we ain't waiting no more. It ain't hoping anymore. It, now our faith has become sight in that place. There is no need of a preacher to tell you about Jesus anymore. The Bible actually tells us that we shall know even as we are known. Now how does God know you? How well does He know you? He knows every hair on your head. He knows every single thing about you. There's nothing hidden. So if that is the case, and we know even as we are known, how much are you going to know? There ain't going to be no need for me to stand up and try to teach you or tell you any single thing because you will have all knowledge of everything. And when we're in this land and we are the image of His glory, everything He created for us to be, we have reached our final destination. But until we get there, we have a model in Christ Jesus of everything God wants for us to be. And Paul said that some labor and strive by preaching and teaching. And he said the ultimate goal of their preaching and teaching is to present every man perfect in Christ Jesus. That's on over in the book of Colossians if you want to read it for yourself. He said our goal is to present you perfect in Christ Jesus. And the only way we can do that is by teaching you how to model after Jesus Christ. That's it. So some preach, some teach, but then everybody else has a labor that they can do to present every man perfect. And what is that labor? Pray. Every single person in this building has the ability to pray because all it requires doing is saying some words to God. Even people that cannot speak can still pray. Have you ever prayed without opening your mouth? Anybody can pray. You can ask God, and prayer is the most powerful tool that we possess because it is where He gives us all things. He says we have not. Why? We ask not. Prayer is the key to unlocking all the power that God has to give us through His Holy Spirit. But it comes through prayer. And we pray for one another. And we pray for one another to present each one perfect in Christ Jesus. But last week I talked to you about praying for strength. Strength because in the process of being fully pleasing to God, according to the first part of the prayer, in the process of walking worthy of Him, in the process of being filled with the knowledge of His will, knowing exactly how we need to change our life in order to model it after Christ, as God begins to show us these things, how many of you get weak in the process of doing it? Temptation. Boy, it gets hard to fight against, don't it, Nick? It's tough. Oh, hanging in there with something God would have you to do, even though your flesh and everything else says, get out of that, walk away. But you know, God says, you've got to tough it out. You've got to be long-suffering. You've got to be gentle. You've got to be kind. You've got to be patient. You've got to be loving. And in the process of all that, day after day, whew, boy, you get wore down. Man, you get weak. After a while, the temptation, you just look at it and go, oh, what's the use of fighting it? 
That's what I, my flesh wants. I can get forgiveness for it anyway. I'm just going to go on and jump in. Feet first. I'm just going to get in this thing and I'm going to just do what I want to do. But he says here, I want you to become everything that I want you to be. And I want you to pray that you will be strengthened with all might according to his glorious power for all patience and long-suffering with joy. Last week I talked to you about that this strength comes from admitting without Christ we are completely and utterly helpless and hopeless. Without him we would not have even come into being. Without him we would not be able to take our next breath. Without Him, we can do absolutely nothing according to John 15. Jesus' own words, He said, Without Me, you can do nothing. You can't even get up out of your bed in the morning if it were not for Jesus Christ. You've got to admit that. The next thing, you've got to pray simply and humbly, God, help me. The third step was believe in his promises. You remember what his promise said? His pro I gave you an arsenal of promises on your prayer sheet last week. One of those promises was, be not dismayed. You know why? I am your God. Do not fear. I am your God. No need to fear. There is nothing that can harm you as long as I am your God. And he says, yes, not only that, I'll strengthen you. Oh, not only that, but because I'm your God, I will help you. Don't fear. Don't be dismayed. You can trust that I promise you I will give you the strength to get through. I promise you I will give you the help that you need to do whatever I call you to do. If, if I need you to stay and pastor even though you're tired of pastoring, even though message after message and sometimes it seems like you're getting nowhere, oh, but you've got to stick in there. You've got to hang on. Husbands and wives the same way. That marriage was anointed. It was called by God. You got into that thing and you made a commitment to Him. And you know it gets tough. Oh, I know it gets tough. I don't mean that harshly, baby. I love you, baby. I really do, sweetie. I love you. <laughs> Marriage gets tough. It does. But I want to tell you something. It's a promise that God has given us that He will help us. He will give us the strength to hang in there. And if we will trust Him and we will believe in His promises and model our life after Him, that marriage will become everything you ever wanted it to be. And it will become everything God made it to be. He says, I will strengthen you. I will help you. And this week, I'm talking about the last part of the prayer that Paul prayed. Look with me again at verse 11 and 12. Paul said, I'm praying that you will be strengthened with all might. And this power only comes from him. It's according to his glorious power. And here's what it's for. This strength is for all patience and long-suffering. This strength is going to give you patience to hang in there and make this thing work. This strength is going to give you patience to, to be long-suffering with all of those that it's just so tough to be long-suffering with, Nick. Ain't that right? I don't mean to call you by name, brother. But it, it, it is so tough sometimes to be patient, kind, long-suffering. And he says you need strength to get through that. And it can't come from your strength. Oh, you'll cave in. You'll cave in under the lightest load. But with my strength, you'll stand against that thing. 
and you'll keep pushing forward even when everything else is backing you down. He says, but I don't want you to just have patience and long-suffering. I don't want you to stay in your ministry, uh, Sunday school teacher, because, because it's what you've got to do for God. I don't want you to stay in your marriage because it's what I've got to do for God. If he wants me to do it, I guess I'll stay in it. I don't want that. You know what? If you just make it to the end of your ministry and say, well, I didn't quit. Oh, my goodness. I hate that for you. I want you to get to the end of your ministry and look up and say, oh, I fought a good fight. I finished the race. I kept the faith. And finally, there's a crown laid up for me that I'm going, that Christ Jesus has to hand right over to my hand, the prize that's before me. He says, I want you to have all patience and long-suffering, and I want you to do it with joy. I want it to be a joy for you to suffer. I want you to look suffering in the eye and say, I love every minute of it. You know why? He gives us the answer in verse 12. Look what he says next. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. He says, here's why you can have joy. Because there's an inheritance that's coming to you for the choices that you make of staying in the will of God. You can go out there and live the easy life. You can go out there and live it up to the fullest and be everything you want to be in this world, but there will be no inheritance for you. The Bible says that those who live that kind of life will not inherit the kingdom of God. Galatians chapter 5, verse 19, I think, somewhere around in there. He says there's an inheritance waiting for all of those who will stay in the will of God. He says we give thanks to the Father because He qualified us. We were unqualified. There was no hope of us having any inheritance in this whatsoever. The only inheritance we had is only what you could gain while you're in this world. How many of you know every bit of that turns back to the dust from which it came? But he says that he qualified us by giving his son through the redemption of his blood, the forgiveness of sins. He qualified us to become partakers of the inheritance of the saints in the light. And this inheritance, well, what is an inheritance? I think I've got a definition here somewhere. Inheritance. Something gained from a predecessor or an ancestor as your own right or your portion. In the Old Testament, the eldest son, according to Jewish law, the law that God laid down, God's law, the father must leave the inheritance to the eldest son. He got two-thirds, or he got a double portion, not two-thirds, he got a double portion of the inheritance. Every sibling after him, every son after him, got an inheritance of an equal share after that, according to Jewish law. However, Jesus Christ is the firstborn Son of God. As a matter of fact, God said that He is my only begotten Son in whom I am well pleased. So the inheritance that is left goes to Jesus Christ. And here Paul says that I give thanks to the Father because He qualified us to be partakers in His inheritance. In the inheritance that rightfully goes to Jesus Christ. So Romans 8 verse 17, Beck, if you can get that for me. I want, you to, I want to show you what God has done for us. And if children, then heirs, 
Go back to verse 16 if you don't care. Then we'll go to 17. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. All right? And if children, then what? Heirs. In other words, heirs is someone who... You ever heard of an heir to the throne? Or an heir to the inheritance? In other words, something is fixing to be handed down to you. He said we have become children of God. Not just children, though. We have become heirs. Heirs of God. And not just heirs, but joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we what? Suffer with Him that we also may be glorified with Him. We're not just heirs. We're not just the younger siblings, but how many of you know that we are going to have an equal share? Do we deserve any bit of that? You will have an equal share of Christ's inheritance. So my question when I read this was this. What is the inheritance that Christ has inherited that we have just become equal shares with? Revelations chapter 21 verses 1 through 8. I want to look at what this inheritance is. Revelation 21 verse 1, it says this, Now I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth, what happened to them? Oh, it passed away. Huh. Also, there was no more sea. And then verse 2, Then I, John, saw the holy city, a new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride adorned for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and He will dwell with them, and they shall be His people. God Himself will be with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, no sorrow, no crying, there shall be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Then he who sat on the throne said, Behold, I make what all things new. And he said to me, Write, for these words are true and faithful. You can trust this. Verse 7, or verse 6, I'm sorry. And he said to me, It is done. I am the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, the end. I will give of the fountain of the water of life freely to him who thirsts. And he who overcomes shall inherit what? Oh, y'all got to get this right here. Y'all ain't y'all just. I'm telling you, because somebody should have just jumped up and started stomping or running or something. He says here, he who overcomes shall inherit all things. There is nothing that God has created anew that He's made perfect. There is absolutely nothing that will be withheld from your hand. You don't have just a mansion prepared for you. You have everything that God has to offer coming in your inheritance and you have an equal share in it. He says, He who overcomes shall inherit all things and I will be his God and he shall be my son. And then verse 8, But the cowardly, unbelieving, abominable, Murderers, sexually immoral, sorcerers, idolaters, and all liars shall have their part in a lake which burns with fire and brimstone, which is the second death. How many of you used to be some of those things? Here I am, right here. He says, in which some of you were. Oh, but you've been washed. 
You've been regenerated, if you will. You have been qualified to be a partaker in something that you did not deserve. You know, I, I, I like this show on TV called Deadliest Catch. Y'all, anybody in here ever watch that? They get on this big old fishing boat, and they're rocking back and forth, and some of them get so sick on there. Some of them, the hands get hurting so bad, they think they're going to be bad getting on there, don't they? And then halfway through it, they can't make it. They have to quit. But you know, so many people will tough it through it, and if they can tough it through it, after a few weeks of work, they can make as much as I make in a whole year worth of work, probably even more. It is so tough on them out there, cold, fighting the waves, the deadliest job in America. But they will tough through this thing, and you know what? They'll do it, most of them, with a smile on their face. You know why? Because at the end of this trip, they got a paycheck coming. Oh, but it ain't no little measly um, $10 an hour paycheck. No, this paycheck that's coming to them is a paycheck that it takes most of us at least a year to earn this thing. And they will do this pain and they will do this suffering with a smile on their face for something that is going to fade away. How much more should we, as children of God, with this kind of paycheck coming at the end, with this kind of inheritance coming, how much more should we be patient and long-suffering because we know that when we get to the end of this thing, he has a place prepared for us that our eye has never seen, we have never even imagined. I want to show you just a few things about this place. First thing, verse, uh, John chapter 14, verse 1 through 3. I'm going to go through these pretty quick, so if you don't make it with me, that's fine. Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for who? For you. He said this is not a place that is just for everybody who wants to come in. This is not a place where Pulaski Electric System is going to come in and cut your power if you can't pay the bill. This is not a place where the Pulaski Water Department is going to come put a lock on your meter if you don't pay your bill. This is not a place that anybody can come in and take anything away from you because it has been freely given to you. He says, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. The first thing you need to know about this inheritance is it is a place that is prepared just for you. How many of you would... um? Spend a few years in labor if you knew that somebody had a, a 5,000 square foot mansion that you'd never have to pay a bill in, no electric, no nothing. How many of you would put a few years of labor in if you knew that that was going to be freely given to you at the end of that? And how many of you would do it with a smile on your face? The last part of this prayer of being patient and long-suffering with all joy is the toughest part of the prayer. And the reason that it is is because it is the one that requires the most amount of faith. You do not have this in your possession yet. But Paul said, I give thanks to the Father because I fully believe that I am going to be a partaker in the inheritance of the saints in the light. The next thing I notice about this place comes from the book of Revelation 21 verse 4. 
and God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, no sorrow, no crying. There shall be no more pain for the former things have passed away. Tina, you ain't going to need no tissue up there. Shane, you can put your tissue boxes back on the pew. You ain't taking them with you, my friend. They ain't no crying up there. Oh, this is my kind of place. I can't stand to see somebody cry. I hate it, Nick. And it ain't because I'm a big macho man. It's because I can't fix that thing. I can't stand to see somebody cry. It just eats me up inside because I can't put my hands on it and fix it. Oh, but this place, I don't have to worry about that. This place, there ain't no tears up there. Well, I don't know that there ain't any tears. I just know the Bible says that God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no sorrow. If there are tears in heaven, they ain't from sorrow. If there are tears in heaven, these are tears of grateful joy. These are tears that cannot be contained because of what you see before you. Because of the love of God that's been displayed in your life. He says, there will be no more death, no more sorrow, no more crying, no more pain, Wanda Senior. No more pain in that place. There ain't no more pain for the former things. They've passed away. The second thing I notice about this place, it is unlimited by physical limitations. There are no physical ailments in this place, in this inheritance that we have. How many of you spend money every year at the doctor just trying to get rid of some pain, just trying to get rid of some suffering? You ain't got to worry about that. Doctors, you're going to be out of business in heaven. There ain't going to be a whole lot of need for a healer in heaven, for there is no disease, there is no ailments in heaven. He says here, the former things have passed away. 1 Corinthians 15, 35. But someone will say, how are the dead raised up? And with what body do they come? Verse 36. Keep going with me, Beck. Foolish one, what you sow is not made alive unless it dies. And what you sow, you do not sow that body that shall be, but mere grain. But God gives it a body as He pleases, and to each seed its own body. You don't even have to go any further. I can stop right there and get my point across. When you put a, uh, a, a corn seed in the ground, does it, do you put it in there? Does it look like a corn stalk when you put it in the ground? It's a kernel, right? But then something takes place in that ground. When that seed dies and it begins to fade away, all of a sudden this outer shell opens up. And from within this outer shell there springs up a, a new being. This body does not look like what you put in the ground. When this thing begins to come out, it's a little green stalk and it breaks its way through the ground until it comes up into this great, nice corn stalk with these ear of corn on it that we feast from and we love to eat. Well, the Bible describes our new experience in this way as well. He says, in this land, an inheritance that you will receive is that it will not be the body you're in right now. This body is going to be buried. This body is going to die. And when this body dies, out from it will come a new body, a new life form. And He will give it the type of body that He pleases. This body is going to be a body that there will be no pain in. This body will not be limited by how much strength you have in your muscles. This body will be limitless to what it can do because it's a new glorious body. It's a body that God has given it to bring Him glory. 
The third thing I notice is from 1 John chapter 3, verse 2. Beloved, now we are children of God. And it has not been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when He is revealed, we shall be like Him, for we shall see Him as He is. Here's another thing that's great and glorious about this inheritance. It ain't been revealed to you what kind of body you're going to have when this thing takes place. All but one thing we know for sure. It'll be just like Jesus. One thing we know for sure, whenever we're given this new form, it will be as glorious as Jesus. Now that may not mean much to you right now, but I want you to think about something. The Bible says that in this land there is no night. Does anybody know why there's no night? Because the Lamb of God is its light. Jesus Christ and the body that God has given Him is so glorious that there is no darkness in a land that is filled with so many of the saints. And the reason that there is no night is because of the glory of the light that comes from it. So I can promise you one thing. The Bible tells me that I'm going to be just like it. The Bible tells me that because we are one in Christ, we're going to have the same kind of glory. The same kind of glory the Bible talks about Jesus having, you're going to have it too. You remember when Moses went up on the mountain and said, God, I want just a glimpse of your glory. Y'all remember that? I want just a glimpse of it. Moses said, okay, here's what I'm going to do. I got this rock over here. I'm going to set you over here in the cleft of it. And then I'm going to pass by and I'm going to announce the name of the Lord. And when I do that, then you can open your eyes and you can look at my hind parts. Just the end of me. Just the, just a little piece. And the Bible says that when, when God passed by and Moses opened his eyes, that it was so glorious that he had to put a veil on his face when he came back down. His face was radiating so much glory that the children of Israel wouldn't dare come near him. Can you imagine me coming down from a prayer session up here somewhere and I, when I turn around, it's just, it's just glory flowing off of my face. Most of you would get up and you'd run out of this place. I guarantee you, you ain't no different than them. But God said that his glory was so great that just from the hind parts of it, Moses had to put a veil over his face. That's the kind of glory that times a million that you are going to have in this place of this inheritance. The next thing that I see comes from 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 9. But as it is written, I has not seen nor ear heard nor have entered into the heart of the man the things which God has prepared for those who love him. We can't imagine it. We can't think about it. This experience is so wonderful. It will never grow old. The Bible says that we will inherit all things. That means I want you to think about all the things that God has created for us to enjoy in this world. How many of you got hobbies of some kind? I mean, most of you in here got hobbies you love to enjoy doing. And God created every one of those things that we enjoy doing. Now, we have some, in some way or, or form corrupted the majority of them. But the Bible says that He makes all things new. That means not only does He make a new heaven and a new earth, but everything that He has, anything you could possibly imagine, anything that your heart could desire that's good from God, it's yours. It's yours. And it don't cost no money. 
I think, Kirby, you go and buy a new bow. Well, boys, it's nice to get a new Matthews bow, ain't it? Oh, but we've got to set back a little money for a little while to get that thing, don't we? The Bible says that God freely gives us all things. There's no charge. There's no charge for the things that he has prepared for us. All we do is say, boy, I sure would like to have this, Daddy. And Daddy says, boop, there you go. I sure would like to have that, Daddy. Boop, there it is. It's that simple. Y'all think I'm making this stuff up. This ain't fairy tale stuff. This is the promise of God. This is the reason Paul could stand and say, I forget those things I had to count lost. I look forward and I press toward the mark for the prize of the upward calling in Christ Jesus. I don't worry about these things that moth and rust and thieves break in and steal. I don't care about these things. I look forward to the prize because I know what God has prepared for me, or, or I have an inkling of it. He's given me a little description, but how many of you know that even though God told the Israelites, I'm sending you to a land flowing with milk and honey, when they got there, they probably looked at God and said, you could have told us a little more than milk and honey. You didn't tell us about all this other stuff we found. Well, you ain't going to be no different. The half has not been told to you the things that God has prepared for those who will stay in his will and love him. Revelation 21, verse 3. I'm going to go through these a little quicker. And I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people. God himself will be with them and be their God. You know what this means? There ain't no president of the United States in heaven. I don't know how, I, don't, I ain't saying I'm against the man. Y'all got, don't get me wrong. I'm just saying, how many of you been sitting around the, the uh, campfire, been sitting around in your, in your little uh, home, in your table, and somewhere along the way the conversation turns to government? Somewhere along the way the conversation starts going, well, what do you think about the will tax they're trying to impose on Giles Canyons? Somewhere along the way we go into politics. There ain't no politics in heaven. You know why? God is the supreme authority. You don't have to worry about whether Obama or McCain gets in the office in this place. It ain't going to make no difference. God Himself will be their God and you will be His people. One nation under God. Indivisible with liberty and republic for all. And I ain't talking about what we're celebrating this morning on Memorial Day. Yes, this is great what we have in the United States of America, but I want you to know it don't even compare to the one nation under God that we are going to. The next thing I see, Revelations 21 verse 27, and this is probably the greatest one for me and for many of you. But there shall by no means enter in, enter it anything that defiles or causes an abomination or a lie, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. You know why this is important? Every single person in this building has been affected by evil in some way or another. It has grabbed your loved ones. It's grabbed you in some way or another. It has affected every single one of us, and I hate it. I look at temptation and the things I struggle with on a daily basis and I literally look at God and say, I cannot wait for the day that you destroy every bit of this. 
I can't wait for the day that I'm no longer tempted with things that this world has to offer. I can't wait for the day when there are no people out there that are influenced by evil. It has no place in this land. He says, by no means will it enter into this place. There is not a possible way for evil or anything that defiles to enter into this place in any single way. The only ones that are there are the ones that's written in the Lamb's book of life. That's it. This is the inheritance that we have. And I'm closing right here. This inheritance is greater than any of the fleshly pleasures that we currently pursue and chase after while we're down here. See, whether you like it or not, there is something in your flesh that wants evil. I don't care whether you like it or not. In your flesh, you may not think it's evil. You may look at yourself and say, oh, I'm a good person. How many of you know the Bible says that even your good deeds are like filthy rags in the eyes of God? Whether you realize it or not, every single one of you have an influence of evil in your life. I look at the Wednesday night crowd and I look at every one of them. I say, y'all are evil people. We all are. We are an evil nature. We're a sinful nature. But God is giving us a new nature. Every single one of us are influenced by this some way or other. We chase after earthly pleasures. I wrote down the top four. Money. How many of you chase after money? Be honest with me. Come on. Chase after money. Yeah. We want the biggest paycheck we can get. We want the biggest house we can get. We want the nicest car we can get. We chase after these things. We live our life for these things. You know, it's funny how it's funny to me how we can um, be so sick that we can't um, that we're so sick we end up having to take all this medicine and stuff, and then we'll we'll get up and we'll make ourselves go to work. How many of you went to work sick? I mean, come on, be honest with me. I've done it too. Oh, but how many of us will wake up on a Sunday morning and say, well, my belly just don't feel quite right. And what do we do? Oh, we'll pull the covers back over our head and we'll kick back. You know why? Well, we ain't got to go to church to get a paycheck, do we? We chase after money. That's what our lives pursue. Money buys us all the things that we want and we go after the desires of our flesh and chasing money. But not just money. We pursue sex. We pursue power. Every one of you. How many of you have wanted to push forward and want to be the supervisor? I, I, I've worked with people before that that's, their whole life is to be the top of the top. I have to, if I don't make it to the top, I'm a nobody. If I keep staying down here, then I can't, this job is not good enough. And I'm not saying that, um, that this kind of uh, pursuance is a bad thing. I think a person ought to set goals and go after and want to be and want to be. But it's in our mindset that when it's power that we're trying to reach, that's when it's wrong. He says here that I, I, I believe that money and power sets popularity. How many of you want to be accepted by your people, by your peers? You buy the clothes that you think everybody likes. You want to look the best that you can look. You chase after all of these things. But I want to promise you something. The inheritance that God has prepared for you is so far greater than any of those things that you give your life to chase after in these places. I'll give you four prime examples real quick. Money. Money buys us all the things our heart desires, but God owns all things, even money. 
in our inherited land, God freely gives us all things our hearts desire. This land is so great that you don't even have to work for money anymore. You don't have to pursue after all this stuff. All you have to do is stand up there and give Him the glory to Him. Be the image of His glory. Everything He created you to be. And He freely gives you all things. There's no need to work a 40-hour week in there. You won't have to work a Saturday and Sunday because you need overtime on your check to be able to buy something your heart desires. No. Instead, the inheritance of God is so far greater than money because there is no need for money in this place that we're going. Second thing. This is very important. I want you to think about this. Sex. Yeah, that's right, I said it. Showed you. Sex. Jesus never had sexual relations. He didn't. But, how many of you know that Jesus was the most complete and full person that this earth has ever seen? He did not find his desire in money, sex, power, popularity, and yet he never had any of these things. He understood the relationship that sex represents. He understood that, that, that sex is a representation of the relationship that God is going to have between His people. This is a oneness. It's a relationship between us and God. And Jesus so understood this relationship that it made sex seem like a mediocre yawn. <sighs> How many of you ever had a good yawn? Oh, you said, if I didn't have to walk back, I could stretch a mile. You ever had one of those? Well, I'm going to tell you what. The relationship that you're going to have with God is going to bring you so much pleasure. The relationship that you're going to have with God is going to bring you so much joy that it will make sex seem like a mediocre yawn. That's the truth. There is nothing that you can chase after down here that is going to be greater than what God has to offer you in this inheritance. He meant it to be that way. He meant for you to take your eyes and your focus off all the things you go after down here and quit chasing them and go after Him and follow Him. My last two real quickly. The next thing is power. We chase after power. The Bible says that God has placed all things under the feet of Jesus. He has given him all authority, all power. And in turn, what did Jesus do? He turned around and gave it to you. He said, everything that I have to give, I give it to you. All power, all authority. And you chase after being a little powerful down here. You can be the president of the United States of America. They call him the most powerful man in the world is what they call him. You can be the most powerful man in the world and your power still does not even compare to the power that God has to give you whenever you enter in that place up there. The Bible says we shall reign with Him. I don't know if y'all understand that or not. Let me move on. Popularity. It's funny how we desire to be popular and approved by a bunch of human nobodies. <laughs> Let me read that one more time just in case you didn't get it. It's funny how we desire to be popular and approved by a bunch of human nobodies. A bunch of human nobodies. You know what? It don't matter if um, Brad Paisley knows you or not. 
Would it make you feel good if Brad Paisley got up on stage and says, I want to introduce y'all my best friend Shane Richardson right here. And then start singing him his favorite country song. Would that make you feel good, Shane? It'd probably make you feel a little good, right? Come on. He'd cry. He would. We'd have to get him some tissue. (laughs) We desire popularity. And I'm telling you what, it don't matter who knows you in this world, we're all on an equal scale down here. You know why? Because all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The only one that matters whether they know you or not, look at 1 Corinthians 8, verses 2 and 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 8, 2 and 3. And if anyone thinks that he knows anything, he knows nothing yet as he ought to know. But if anyone loves God, this one is known by who? By God, the creator of all universe. I, you know, I ain't never sung the song here, but there's an old song that sung it called, He Knows My Name. He Knows My Name. He knows everything about me. But more importantly, He knows me. Jesus stands at the Father and says, Oh, yeah, I know Kevin. I know him very well. Got a good relationship with him. Matter of fact, he's my brother. He's my best friend. Enter in, thy good and faithful servant. It don't matter who knows you as long as God knows you, and yet we chase after popularity and trying to be approved by a bunch of human nobodies. Galatians chapter 4, verse 9. It's my last scripture. But now after you have known God, or rather, more importantly, are known by God. See, there's a whole lot of people that would stand out there in that crowd just like Shane Richard and say, I know Brad Paisley. Got a little mud on my tires. I know him. I know him. But that don't mean Brad Paisley's going to stand on the stage and look out there and say that he knows Shane Richardson, does he? It don't matter who you know. More importantly, who knows you? And more importantly than that, does God know you? But now after you have known God, or rather are known by God, how is it that you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements to which you desire again to be in bondage? You know, and I'm closing right here, Paul had a very good understanding. What would you say about me? I think she called me somebody, I don't know. She, that's what I thought you said. <clears throat> it's funny how... After we have known God and after we know all these things that he has for us, how is it that we can turn our eyes back to these temporary things? How is it that most of us will walk right out of this room this morning and go right out there to our workplace tomorrow and do things that we know are not right because we want to be approved by somebody? How is it that some of us will go out there and we'll have the nastiest mouth we've ever had because it's going to make our coworker laugh? How is it that we'll walk out there and that we'll do everything we can and we'll step over anybody and lie about anybody and do whatever we have to do to get to the top to receive that power we want and we know the power that God has prepared for us? Why is that? And Paul didn't understand it neither. Look what he said. He said, but after you have known God or rather are known by God, how is it that you turn again to the weak and beggarly elements? Weak and beggarly elements to which you desire again to be in bondage. I want to read one more scripture and I'm done. Romans chapter 8. I am like Anthony, that's right. Romans chapter 8, 
verse 16 through 18, and this is it. I promise. Look here. I'm going to prove it to you. That don't mean nothing, does it? <laughs> Food you, psych. All right. The Spirit himself. Look at this. I want you all to read it with me. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with Him, that we may also be glorified together. And look what he says next. I love this. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us on that day. He, Paul said, listen, the reason why I can be long-suffering the reason why I can be so patient, the reason why I can be so kind, even when it makes me weak, the reason I can hang in there what God told me to hang in there, even when it hurts so bad, is because I consider that the sufferings of this present time, they ain't even worthy to be set on the same comparison scale of the things that God has prepared for me. They don't even compare. They're not even close. I hope that if you didn't learn nothing else today, that you learned that every time that you suffer, every time that you have to hang in there when your flesh says, go do this, I hope that you have learned this morning that you can put your focus and give thanks to God. This is the reason why Paul prayed the prayer. He said, I give thanks to God that He has qualified me to be a partaker of the inheritance of the saints in the light. You are a partaker of all the things that God has for you if indeed you will believe the promise that He's made to you. The next time Satan comes at you this week and, and you have to deny a temptation of some kind and it's so tough, I want you to put a smile on your face and say, God, I know a day's coming where I can have everything my heart desires and it won't be evil. There's coming a day when I can have everything you have prepared for me and none of it will be evil and I put a smile on my face and I'm patient and I'm long-suffering with all joy because I know that the suffering I have to do down here is not even worthy to be compared with what you have for me when I enter in. Y'all stand.